0: Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brendan Moore, who's a project manager at the Lime Timber Company. Brendan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Kevin. How about you? Good. Very well, very well. So where are we reaching you from? Nowadays, we, we just really don't know where people are, but maybe uh, let us know where you're, you're calling into the show from.
1: Yeah, so I'm calling in from Tunbridge, Vermont, at
0: a, at a home
1: office. Uh, my, my headquarters is in Hanover, New Hampshire. Um, that's that's uh, Lime Timbers' corporate office is in Hanover. And then we've got satellite offices spread uh, all over the You know, eastern half of the
0: country. Very cool. Very cool. So before we dig into maybe Lime and uh, getting to know more about the organization, maybe share with me how you got into forestry because again you've got a project manager title but I know we've spoken in the past uh, you know you're technical as well even though you have the PM title so maybe to start us off share that story of, of how you got into forestry was there a connection with family or it was school or, or what was that journey like for you?
1: Yeah all of the above really um, so, I, so I grew up in Vermont uh, I grew up on a used to be a dairy farm and then we switched to uh, beef cattle but you know there's a woodlot pretty good sized woodlot a couple hundred acres out back and uh, from a pretty young age uh, started working out there and with the trees and my father was always um, working out in the woods and he still does um, part-time and so got interested in trees got interested in forestry I um, <clears throat> uh, went through a high school program that actually had a um, forestry elective and so I went through all that and they Um, they did a really good job of exposing the students to, uh, you know, small consulting forestry that's really common in the area. Um, So I was excited in high school and then actually went to attended University of Maine, um, got my bachelor's in forest management and um, been working in the forestry business ever since.
0: No kidding. No kidding. That's amazing. I always find it fascinating when there's sometimes a spark in high school, this little thing that kind of exposes you to something and it just kind of blossoms uh from there so out of curiosity have, are you still in touch with maybe your your teacher from high school like do they know it's like oh it's like you know i actually went and carried on with this or, or that's I, too far back
1: That's that's on my uh that's on my bucket list <laughs> i haven't
0: <laughs> yeah i, I should you. i
1: should get i should get back into the classroom there because they used to have a lot of uh guest speakers that would come in come on the cycle and rotate and talk and talk to the students so um it's a good reminder.
0: Thanks. And I'll try to <laughs> get no that on the schedule. Well, hopefully I didn't volunteer you by accident here and your teacher's actually yes. listening and going like, Hey, there we go. Like, Brendan's on board. If, here. It, if,
1: if Mr. Hires, if you're still listening, uh, I think you may have retired. Hopefully you're sitting on a beach somewhere, but if you're not, if you're in the classroom and you want me to come back, uh Kevin has <laughs> volunteered my time.
0: <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Awesome. So very cool you're you're up in the Vermont area, you know, well, US Northeast. So again, us Canadians often joke like, you know, very like-minded uh even though separated by uh an administrative boundary, uh country boundary uh line there mm-hmm. per se. But was was Lyme where you started? Um or or maybe tell us about that journey uh on the industrial side or the the Yeah. Industrial side. No.
1: No, so I started um I worked uh when I was in college, I spent two summers um cruising timber for for a little company called uh, International Paper. Um they used to <laughs> own a bit of land and I was working in Maine, I was working in New York, I was working in northern New Hampshire. Uh just we were out there doing 10 factor prison plots every single day uh for for as many days as we could uh before school started. And so I did that for a couple of years. Um, when I graduated college, I got a job, um, with a small consulting forestry firm in Vermont and we're doing, uh, you know, typical small woodlot management for, for family landowners, anywhere from, you know, 25 acres to 2000 acres, um, working with, with, you know, logging contractors and the local mills. And, um, and then we started picking up some larger management projects for, um, for the lime timber company. Um and so we were a we were a small consulting forestry shop. There's actually, you know, it's like two employees for a while, um, myself and the owner. And and um so I worked with Lime as a consultant, did that for a number of years, um, actually kinda got out of the forestry business. Um as a full time thing and got into uh, sugaring and so I was running a, a big kind of industrial scale sugaring operation in Vermont and I did that uh, for it was about seven years that I worked in that business and I always kept forestry going as a side thing and and I started getting more and more into GIS. Um, initially, you know to support my forestry clients, but then, once I got into the sugaring business I was like you know we were trying to manage um, you know about 30,000 tap operation wow. and miles and miles and miles of pipeline and tubing and all this infrastructure out in the woods and and uh we were working you know we'd have a lot of seasonal workers and so we we're always trying to transfer information like about this huge network of pipes that we have in the woods and so so I really got take it like a real deep dive into GIS to to be able to like map out all this stuff and symbolize it and categorize it and and really have like a real database that we could use, um, for, for the sugaring operation. Uh, but you know, that, that, that career ended and I was uh, fortunate enough to get hired directly by Lime Timber, uh, four years ago. And so I've always, I've always kind of been working with them and, um, helping them out as a consultant over the years, um, but now i'm actually an employee of of the company and so my role you know continues to evolve
0: but yeah yeah so if you're in the sugary uh, business there with you know sugar maple so does that mean you have a lifetime supply of maple syrup uh uh, going forward in perpetuity not not anymore i I,
1: i've 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 I think for the first time in my life, I had to purchase some syrup last
0: year. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you're like, the grade wasn't as good as what you might have. Uh, no, no, no. It. I know which producers to buy from. So Okay. Well, we'll have to we'll have to exchange notes after this, uh, this yeah, call, so I yeah. know when I'm down in your neck of the woods. There's, there's a lot
1: of good syrup made in Vermont. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Just like the beer, the craft beer seems great in Vermont, so it's pretty it easy is. to find good beer and good syrup. It is. It is very cool.
0: So, maybe introduce us to the Lime Timber Company for our listeners who may not be familiar, or I won't say a different beast, but maybe slightly a different beast in terms of, of who you are and what you do. But maybe give us, give us the lay of the land of, of the organization where uh, it's doing work, and, uh, and we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, Lime was, uh, was founded in 1976, um, it's a private timberland investment organization. And so we're we're doing um, private equity funds investing in timberland and also associated businesses. Um, we've we've invested in a couple of different uh, log sorting yards. We've actually got um, two uh, company-owned logging crews that we've started, and we've invested in two sawmills in Pennsylvania recently in the last couple of years. Um, but we're you know we're focused in the forestry uh, spectrum. Um, we've got about. A million and a half acres um, that we're managing right now. Um, most of it's on the, you know, the East Coast, um, from New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Tennessee, Florida, and then a lot of land in the um, in the Lake States um, that we picked up. And so we've got, you know, the, the corporate headquarters is in New Hampshire, and then we've got um, field offices with a local management team for each one of our, of our portfolios. And so we're trying to build up, you know, we've got businesses, um, you know, we've got local foresters, we've got a local manager, we've got an office, we've got admin staff, um, you know, a lot of the logging infrastructure and, and associated businesses as it kind of goes with each of these portfolios. Right. Right. So, yeah. so
0: thinking of technology and, and given that, you um, I don't know what the right way of putting it, but like different business units, maybe, or, or and different people and, and that local component. It has the organization had to invest heavily in technology um, to, to I don't know what the right word, unify or maybe standardize or normalize the different operating units? Or, or what can you share on that front?
1: Well, yeah, we're not, um, we don't really have any, any overarching objective to, to standardize across our portfolios because they're really, really diverse. I mean, we've got, we've got Southern pine, you know, in Florida, we've got um, sugar maple up in Michigan, and then we've got, you know, black cherry and oak and hickory and different things in and, 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 Appalachia, and like the, the logging contractors are different. this the whole forest management system is, is different. So we allow a lot of flexibility, but Yeah. So we've had, we've had to invest a lot in technology and um, part of it is just to support our operations, you know, so we're buying these um, properties from, from all of the normal players, you know, that are, that are dealing in in large pieces of timberland. And um, sometimes when we, when we do an acquisition, it comes with a lot of data and the data is really, you know, relevant, well-organized and other times we're buying land in it. You know, doesn't come with much of anything, so we've got to start from scratch, and 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 the things happen quickly, right? You know, we can we can pick up you know 100 or 150 thousand acres in a relatively short time period, and put together a management team, and you know we keep the logging track, logging contractors going, and and uh, so the technology is, has like helped get people up to speed quickly and, and learn about these new
0: properties. Right, for sure. Now you mentioned in your younger days you're doing you're doing a lot of cruising, and so maybe reflecting back on the younger days where you're probably, well, maybe I won't speak for you, but for myself, more agile, probably thirty pounds lighter, and just more uh, nimble on my feet. Um, any patterns you've seen in terms of the technology used then? You know, was it pencil and paper tally sheets, paper tally sheets to to today, what are you doing? Or, or maybe I guess the first question is, what trends have you seen from your younger days to now in terms of timber cruising? And then maybe share with our listeners, like what technologies you're using now to do some of that uh, cruising and appraisal work?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we we were, um, it was, you know, it's a bit old school. We had compasses and we had hip chains, um, you know, back in the day. And, and so that's to get into our plot locations, you know, we, were, we weren't even carrying GPS units. Um, not to make myself sound like a dinosaur, but they they were around, we just, you know, they weren't that good and nobody, you know, we just didn't really think about using them. So that was the cruise spec. So we're out there with compasses and, um, there's actually, you know, we could do a pretty good job. Um, and part of the reason was because we had really, really good stand maps, um, you know, IP at that time, they were doing this, this big management cruise and they'd flown, um, you know, really good aerial photography and they had the best, you know, interpreters go and, and update all their stand mapping. So like their stand typing was was super accurate. They had all this, the roads and the streams. And so we, act, we had paper copies, right? But like, if you paid attention to that paper map and you were good at, you know, navigating, it was almost as good as a GPS unit. Um, and, and now, you know, fast forwarding today, um, we've got tablets, we've got smartphones, you know, we're using all of Esri's field, field applications, um, you know, so we've got all that data. Plus obviously everything's GPS enabled. So it's uh, takes a bit of the guesswork
0: out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know my daughter started doing orienteering and then at one point she was like, what is this thing? I'm like, yeah, that's called the compass, honey. And she's like, what do I do with it? I'm like, this is why you're (laughs) doing orienteering so you can read a map and, and go to school And, and figure out how to get yourself unlost. Um, so thinking on that side of, of the the technology side, maybe maybe tell me more about like you mentioned using the Esri uh, apps there. So I, I'm assuming this is like you know collector field maps or Survey yep. One Two Three. Um, so thinking of different geographies where you have business, different foresters and forestry by default, some would argue or or say it's like it's it's local. Like uh, depending where you are, things are different. Do you find that the adoption of that? technology um, has gone, has gone smoothly without any hiccups? Or do you find that, uh, you know, as Brendan, as a project manager, you need to do a little bit more, uh, what's the right word, handholding, guiding, nurturing the foresters who embrace this technology. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's been a little different. Um, <clears throat> you know, some, some of the foresters, um, they've got a little easier than others. You know, some of the land bases are easier to manage maybe better stocking, better access, uh, you know, less operability constraints. Uh, I find that the, that the folks that have the most challenging um, forests to manage are the ones that adopt the technology fastest.
0: Okay, interesting. So,
1: so West Virginia, um, we've got a piece of land there in, uh, in, in Southwest, West Virginia, and it's super steep um really rocky just i mean the ground's so steep some of it's hard to walk on um you gotta be careful and um you know so we've done it we did a lidar project down there um and built some applications and got all you know all this data is is available to to all foresters and they um they adopted it really easily like they're ready they want they want things to make their jobs easier and right there i was able to you know just help them understand how all of this data actually makes their job easier as opposed to just one more step that we're asking them to do
0: yeah yeah for sure so you you mentioned the world lidar so you flew some airborne lidar maybe share because i I suspect maybe there's some listeners who you know again lidar is the hot topic right as we think about areas where we don't have a good description of the terrain it's a no-brainer fly lidar uh, get a detailed terrain and again unless there's like some change in the landscape like earthquake or like some major event you know the topography is not really going to change in our lifetime per se so you have a nice base but we also know it can be costly and so it sounds like you're flying imagery where it's appropriate and then lidar where it's appropriate or needed um but maybe Was that an easy sell into the organization in terms of, you know, was it just like, it's so steeped here in West Virginia, it's like, it's a no brainer, like we don't really have a choice, we just got to fly it? Um, Or did you run into some challenges and hurdles? And if so, what were some of those? And uh, how could our listeners benefit in terms of them thinking about initiating similar types of mapping projects in their organization?
1: yeah it the first one was it was a bit of a challenge i mean i got interested in it when i was actually working as a consultant and i tried selling it to clients and their answer was always no way it's way too expensive um this is crazy why you know how could we spend this much money per acre to to get this data we don't we're not even sure about and uh i don't think i've become any more convincing but i think the data itself has has improved right the you know, the density, the point density that we can collect now is, is way, way better than, than five years, 10 years, 15 years ago when I started looking at this stuff and the cost has come down per acre. And and those two things, you know, have aligned. Um, and we tried a project, we first did it in Tennessee. Um, that was probably three or four years ago and it worked, it worked well. I mean, the foresters latched onto it. Um, The thing that it's, you know, when when you get high enough point densities and you've got, you know, the individual tree crown mapping or even just a really good resolution canopy height model, you can see um, there's so much variability, you know, within a stand. we've got all these stand polygons and people are used to managing at stand level and, um, but especially in in the mountainous terrain, the site, um, the site specific variation is huge. I mean, we've got you know, the cove sites and you've got super tall, you know, valuable trees in the coves and then you've got these different ridges and, and different heights and different age classes and um, that stuff is hard, takes a lot of time to figure out if you're just walking through the woods trying to piece it together and when you yeah. can see it all in an image on your computer before you even go to the woods, you you improve your, your fieldwork, basically, yeah. you, you, you have a real good guess of what's out there. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you still go to the woods. You still got to verify it. There's a lot of things that haven't changed, but it, it just gives you a leg up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So do you think, you know, line being a, a Timo there, do you think in general, I know you can't cast a broad brush across all Timos, but um, do you think we're in this era where some of these things that maybe the foresters and yourself like fought to get funded, do you, do you think we're past that point where, this just becomes an everyday toolkit in a forester's, you know, toolbox. It's like, you know, yeah, for our properties, we need to know what's going on and whether you fly once or you know, every five years, ten years, whatever that program mandate. Do you, do you think the the space is at that point where it's mature enough that it, it's kind of a no brainer? It feels like it.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we've flown, we've probably done seven hundred thousand acres of lidar in the last couple of years, and. Uh, I don't see any reason why we're going to stop now. I mean, we, yeah. we're just <laughs> working our way through property by property, um, taking the lowest hanging fruit um, to start with. But yeah, it seems it seems like such a important part. I mean, you know, labor is is hard to find. Labor is expensive. You know, it's like we gotta um, appreciate the foresters that we do have and and make them as efficient as possible.
0: Yeah, you know? absolutely. So we can't,
1: Maybe, maybe there's a point in time where you can say, all right, let's just hire three extra foresters and get the same work done. You know, well, that's hard to do these days.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you for gotta, sure. Enough.
1: You got to yeah. make do with, with the people that you have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. And so for our, our viewers on the YouTube side, like, like Brent is not a old dude. He's like a, a young guy rocking a ball cap here and he's a cool dude. And, and, and so thinking of that on the labor front, what are you, what are you seeing is, is there. Uh, like we hear about labor talent shortage across uh, all sectors, really, especially in the technology space, we feel it all the time. Uh, but but what do you see on that side of things? Like again, being in, uh, you know, in Vermont, and then tied back, even though you haven't visited your high school, but your your alma mater and stuff like that? Are you seeing that replenishment of foresters young foresters going through the program there's excitement in in being a forester, or do you or or is it still kind of flat and it's kind of like oh it's like forestry foresters job uh, i don't really want to do this what are you seeing from from your neck of the woods it's it's a bit of a mix i i don't
1: you know we're having a hard time um you know finding enough young people to come in so we are doing some, um, out in the Lake States, they've got a really good program that they've been running for a number of years, but it's basically a apprenticeship. Um, and we're, we're trying to expand that and just do, you know, there's, there's a lot of good forestry schools out there still, but I think we need, you know, more industry to step up, you know, to do more of the education, get people, you know, excited about it just give them a job, you know, give them a summer job and, and, um, pay them something so they can afford to live and get them excited about forestry.
0: Yeah, but, yeah,
1: yeah I wish I wish there was more.
0: For sure, for sure. Now, thinking of um, spaceborne mapping, I guess, I, I know it sounds like you guys fly uh, um, uh, multispectral imagery and stuff like that on aircraft, for the, probably the species component. Um, but thinking of spaceboard, any does Lime dabble with any of that? Because there's a whole other sector, you know, like Earth observation, applying AI, you know, machine learning, deep learning to these remotely sensed images from space to, you know, de- do seedling counts or, or health assessments. Uh, is Lime in that space yet, uh, or not yet, or no plans, or, or what are your thoughts uh, about the, her- the whole EL yeah. space?
1: I mean, we've been using Planet for a number of years, um, you know, with, with all their you know, their planet scope stuff, it's got pretty good uh, frequency to it. And we've started with um, with some change detection software, um, again, in, in, in Appalachia. And part of that is to is keep up with the with all the coal mining activity. So we've got, you know, we're the surface owner, but the minerals all owned by these, um, these other folks, and they're out there, um, coal prices, uh that region are really, really high right now. So there's a lot of activity and quite a bit of land conversion. And so we're we are doing, you know, satellite based um, change detection. Um, and that's that's a project we just started. That's actually, um, we tend to we tend to outsource a lot of the stuff. You know, I, I, I know enough about it to be dangerous, but I don't tend to do the (laughs) the analysis and write the algorithms myself but but we'll find you know the industry experts that we can hire to to help us out with these projects
0: yeah for sure yeah definitely uh sometimes the hardest challenge is defining what the problem is and trees there at one point trees no longer there just show me show me the polygon i often joke just point line polygons it boils down to boils down to that now i'm just curious like the with the, the, the coal side so um, within your, I guess, maybe GIS systems, like, again, Esri sounds like, um, like, you guys don't run enterprise, do you? You're running ArcGIS online, mostly yeah. cloud stuff. Uh, so when you mentioned the coal side, like, is there any cool data exchange interoperability? Or is this really like we're doing change detection analyses because we don't know what those I don't want to say cowboys, but those other stakeholders there, that's the right term. Other stakeholders are doing on the land base and we need to figure that out. Is there plans, different ways of achieving, you know, data interoperability or data sharing or, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: they, we haven't done a lot of data sharing. Um, they they tend to operate in a bit of a silo uh, that, you know, they'll send us a PDF map and, and all of their, you know, the mining permit boundaries, um, but we feel like it's, you know, it's our, it's in our interest um, to take the initiative to keep track of where they're working, you know, and it's, and they have every right. They have, you know, the legal right to go in and and do all of these activities, Um, but we still have obligations. You know, we're in, we're FSC certified and um, we just need to internally keep track of, of how the forest is changing. Right. And, right. you know, and we're, and we're changing, you know, we change it every day. You know, we're out there harvesting timber and we're building roads and landings. And um, so it's not just uh, monitoring third party activity. It's monitoring ourselves. For sure, for sure.
0: Now, I know you guys also, uh, you know, at one time we spoke, you had some um, harvesting uh, machines running in one of the geographies. And um, is that kind of standard across standardized across different regions or is it really specific? And, and and maybe tell me more about how that technology is being used in your business.
1: Yeah, so that was our, our first foray into, into a company logging crew it was in uh, West Virginia. And it's, um, it's actually kind of a atypical setup for the East coast, at least. So we're doing tethered logging. Um, we've got a cable yarder for extracting all the wood. Um, right now we've got like an eight person crew working down there, um, maybe nine or 10 pieces of equipment and, uh, and that's, yeah, I've been, I've been leading that the management of that project, um, for, for a couple of years and that's. You know, it, it ties into all of the LIDAR stuff that we've done. Um, this, as I said, it's steep slope, so we're tethered logging, and there's actually a limit. You know, you can cut in a very, very steep um, hillside with a, with a tethered harvester, but there's still a limit, right? I mean, so, we, and we've had to find that limit. Um, turns out it, for us down there with the rockiness is about 105% slope is, is the upper threshold. And so we've been able to build, um, you know these raster maps that are showing areas less than 105% and areas greater than 105%. <laughs> and uh and it's and it's a nice cutoff and it helps you just visualize. It helps the forester say, okay, here's a whole section over here that, that we're not going to be able to operate. And not only do we have the maps in the in the office, you know, on desktop, but we've got um we're putting them in. So this is all John Deere harvesting equipment. Um, it's got the Timbermatic software and so we're actually able to create um, a base map image and import it into the harvester so that operator, you know, he's seeing it in real time. As he's going up and down the hill, he can see all of the slope data, he can see the contours, he can see the streams, you know, stream buffers, everything is in there. Um, so it's it's helping, it's just helping him, you know, see further ahead and and yeah. anticipate what's coming.
0: Yeah. I, I'm still kind of a gobsmack or an awe 105% slope i'm like so these are well i might say some brave. i'm not sure i would want to be in a harvester tethered on a 105 <laughs> percent slope i'm like yeah 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 hopefully it's yeah. Uh, tethered well obviously and but uh yeah that might be beyond my uh my scariness factor uh type of thing so
1: yeah yeah no they, they they've been getting used to it it's i mean we don't operate that every day that's really the that's the extreme end of it you know so they're yeah. on 70 to 90% is, is their typical slope that they're working there.
0: Yeah. And I think for those uh, people who want to see some of that, I think you guys had a, a social media video at one point kind of showing, I'm not sure if that was for West Virginia. I assume it was for West yeah. Virginia. Given the <laughs> That's yeah. West Virginia. Yeah.
1: So that company, that logging company is called uh, Mountaineer Mechanized. And so if you go on um, YouTube and look for Mountaineer Mechanized, you can find there's a couple of uh, drone videos on there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, so lots, lots here, like we got the, the, the harvesting uh, the harvesters, the telematics we're touching on, you're using a lot of the Esri technology, more of the ArcGIS online. So not so much the uh, enterprise side of things. So thinking about technology, it's like, is there something that has unfolded with the technology that you're using that surprised you maybe in terms of maybe the type of technology or maybe, you know, the adoption or maybe the resistance, is there something there? That's just kind of that, or or has it been really a, a flawless smooth journey in terms of how lime timbers adopted technology to realize its business outcomes?
1: Uh, I going not say it's been flawless. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's certainly been some, some speed bumps in there. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a simple one, I guess, is just is is uh disk capacity, right? And so we, we do this stuff and we're flying, you know, anywhere from 10 to 30 point per per meter lidar, and um, you create some huge files, and then we make these giant rasters, and then we and then we ask people to put them onto their phones, take them out into the field, and they're like, hey, well, guess what? I've got a bunch of pictures, a bunch of music on my phone, and I can't fit this thing, right? And so we end up, um, we've had to replace our hardware a little bit now we're getting smarter about it and buying things with with giant um, hard drive capacities to start with for sure because it it just multiplies um you know I, the other thing is is trying so we've done a lot with with survey 123 um as far as field data collection and it's easy to build relatively easy to build nice slick forms. You have a lot of questions and dependencies and nice you know, things that are very logical and it works really nice. Um, but it is still a challenge sometimes just getting people in the field to actually initiate that process and complete the survey. You know, it's it's people like to keep things in their head and they know they went out in the woods and they saw X, Y, Z. And uh, they, they, they understand and, and it's like, we still have this reporting need and we're trying to, you know, gather as much information and, and kind of organize it in a sensible database. Um, But that, that our interest of, of, you know, storing and tracking the data doesn't necessarily align with Forester's day-to-day
0: interest. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. So maybe thinking of like, if you had a crystal ball in front of you and you're looking at, things like, again, you're in that project management role. So you, you have a portfolio, I assume a projects that you're, you're probably juggling or, or maybe firefighting, depending on, on which day type of thing. But if you had a crystal ball and you kind of look forward, maybe like three years out, do you think the landscape um, in terms of the technology you're using is largely going to stay the same or are there certain things you're kind of cuz again I know you're a technical technical guy it's like and watching the things uh, unfold across the the tech space um, but is there something some sets of technology that you're not really using right now but you're keeping an eye on hoping that it might solve some some opportunity or problems I guess well problems in quotation we problems become opportunities yada 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 but is there certain technology you're just keeping your eye on and just patiently waiting for for it to mature or or become more affordable
1: well, the, you know, we really haven't done much uh, with with species um, delineation and species mapping. Um, and maybe it's, maybe there is, you know, maybe the technology is mature enough right now, uh, but we're working in some of our properties are really, really diverse, you know, in Appalachia and, you know, Pennsylvania and New York and, and even the Lake States, there's a lot of species diversity. And, uh, and we haven't really, you know, we've done, we've done, um really detailed lidar projects where we're mapping individual tree crowns and getting the heights and the height you know the height data is incredible um but we haven't added a species component into it and so that's something that that we're looking at you know
0: and hopefully that'll um come along in the next in the next couple of years that'd be great for sure wow. and then thinking of your operations is like pixel-based species sufficient or you really, you really need that individual tree and that species tied to that is some EO product. I know a couple of folks are, are doing slash trying to do that. Now, what are, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think pixel-based would be fine as, as long as it's, uh, you know, a fine enough um, image that's, yeah. you know, and, and the, you know, I guess the other thing I'd like to see um, that we, We've dabbled in a little bit, but we haven't really um, initiated a full project is um, so so we fly this lidar you get great you know elevation models and you get slope and everything but um there's a lot of other operational layers that we um, use and one of those is roads, you know trails. um, All of our infrastructure we spend you know, millions of dollars every year building and maintaining roads on on our, on our forest, which I'm sure a lot of listeners are in the same boat, you know, roads are really expensive and they're they're really, really critical to our management. Um, but to have some sort of, you know, process where all the roads could be, um, you know, remapped or updated and, you know, calculate the slope of the roads and the width of the roads. Um, similar, you know, there's, there's processes for, for building obviously the canopy height models and uh, a bunch of different forest metrics that we can, that we can pull out of it. Um, but we haven't, we haven't done a lot yet with those other data layers that are really important to us. For sure. For sure. Well, (laughs) well, I
0: know on one side, there's probably, you know, in the global listenership, I know there's probably vendors that are, are chomping at the Bitcoin, like, oh, I can solve that problem for you, Brennan. And I, I suspect there's AI experts going like, I can solve that problem for you as well. So so if you get peppered by a bunch of vendors uh, after the release of this podcast, you'll know where it came from. But are there anything else? Like thinking maybe 10 years at watching the landscape for technology, is there something that, that you're really like, excited about that could be a uh game changer and so this is obviously taking us a decade out like it's pretty far out who knows what's going to happen but again as someone who who's watching the tech space it's like is, is there something on on the the radar for you i know that was not a leading question of saying radar yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> um I, yeah i guess what i'm hoping to see is
1: is the stuff um you know all this remote sensing just continues to mature, you know, come down in cost enough so that we can afford to do a more frequent, um, you know, return on it, right? Because our forest, like we can collect the best data today, we can fly any of our properties and and the cost is reasonable. And then as soon as we're done with that acquisition, the plane lands, well, guess what? Our forest starts changing and trees grow. Some of our trees grow really, really fast. um, And they also get cut down every every day just about um, and so to have something that could be you know high frequency uh of, of you know to generate a canopy height model you know quarterly monthly i don't know like let's let's try to like you, you know we can calculate growth you know height growth on on stands from doing a you know a cyclical um re-measurement. that that'd be pretty cool
0: yeah, very, very neat. Yeah, for sure. And 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 I, I remember back in my day in school, and probably if you did a remote sensing course is always pick one of the three, right, the spatial resolution, the temporal resolution, or, and the, the spectral resolution, but then, you know, maybe we're entering that age where it's like, you can have it all. And, Mm-hmm. um you'd be Willy Wonka at the chocolate factory or whatever like get all get everything that you actually want so we'll, we'll see uh where we go from there so so thinking of the time we we have together left like thinking of organizations in a similar boat doing trying to get into digital and and some of the, your experiences are there maybe one or two pro tips you would would give that listener who's like because uh, I suspect when you talk about roads, we got to build roads. Someone's probably listening like, hell yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, we can relate to what Brendan's saying. And then I'm sure there's vendors that say, like going like, I can solve your problem. But as we, we, we think about um, this, this, this space, uh, it's sometimes hard to take that first step. And once you build that momentum, you know, we've heard other speakers uh, talk about champions and executive sponsors, that whole change management side of things. Um, in your experiences, there are one or two pro tips that, that you could share with our, our listeners in terms of how to, you know, maybe leapfrog some of those speed bumps that uh, the common ones there?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, what this, you know, what what worked on my end is just spending time with the people who are going to be using the data. I mean, you know, we have there's certain, you know, back end analysis that we're doing in the corporate office from it. But really, it's about the field foresters and spend time with them and understand their jobs, like spend an entire day with them and see what they're doing. And I'm always just looking for things that's in their normal workflow. We're not trying to change their jobs. We're just trying to like give them little tools and 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 workflows that makes their job easier and and better. Um, so I'd say you know start from start from the the ground up and look for things that that you can provide, and then and then go to the technology and ask the technology. Well, how can we how can we get it to do this thing that we want? Um, as opposed sure. to, well, well, here's this technology and how can we make it fit onto our land base? You know, I, I like to work from the bottom up.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So so I'm going to shift gears just for a, a couple minutes here and, and being a, you know, line being a timber investment management organization and then recently, you know, with the focus uh, or maybe the hyper focus on climate and even with uh, climate tech, um, you know, a lot of investment dollars um, going in different, Uh, organizations some have raised uh, you know in the 50 million dollar range series a's and whatnot Uh, as a Timo, it's like how are you seeing climate um, you know the your investors you know that that esg mandate maybe um, come into how you're doing your business and and does that tie to technology i know you've talked about fsc and then you have reporting requirements so you need the technology to you know collect the data you know amalgamated it, smash it together to spit out a report or, or some component um, but what can you share in your thoughts on climate and ESG and how that's influencing how how limes going about its business um, in the short term and maybe maybe medium term
1: yeah so it's it's huge I mean everybody is paying attention to it these days um, you know we've we've uh, internally spent a lot of time working on are developing our ESG goals. Um, and, you know, one of those um, is about fuel efficiency. And so we, we're burning, you know, across our operations, uh, it's, it's a huge, huge amount of diesel fuel every year from all of our logging contractors and our truckers. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of things we're working on, but just to focus in on one of them for for the sake of time, we've got, um, you know, we're trying to build uh you know, a model where we can optimize um, our harvesting opportunities, and there's certain places on the property that are um, more or less fuel efficient to harvest than others, and and you know, the technology, even just on the tracking end, right? So, so with John Deere um, logging equipment that we have, and we're able to track uh, fuel consumption and we can get down and, and track it on like a daily basis if we want, we know exactly how many gallons each machine burned on each day, and then we can compare it to the, the site conditions. Um, so we're trying to get to a place where we're just more informed, um, we can take like a, data, you know, a data-driven approach to our harvesting activities, right? I mean, we've always, our foresters are very talented, they're very experienced and everybody you know, does their best um, to make smart decisions. Uh, but now, as we're able to quantify more things and have more more metrics about each stand, about the volume, about the just you know the the slope, the location, um, transportation distance, how far is it for, you know to the to the sawmill, and um, we're just trying to tie all that stuff together. And and we have our our goal is to reduce our um, fuel consumption by fifteen percent. From our our harvesting and and hauling activities, and so we're yeah. we're still in the in the baseline documentation phase, and it's it's a it's a I feel like it's a pretty lofty goal. We'll see how we do.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because it invokes so many things, right? You need the geospatial data as you're talking about. You need the system to, to do the, the basic management and then the optimization algorithms to run it and then the analytics then to pull it together. And I'm sure at some point somebody wants a report or a dashboard that then can be presented to, to other groups. So so very interesting on, on that front. And then out of curiosity, because you have that ESG component, do you think um, bringing in new technology or solutions will be... Uh, an easier sell to the organization or, or do you think it's just, you know, same as when you guys started doing the LIDAR mapping, it's just, you have the business case, you know, the ROI back to business 101 in terms of why would Lime do this? What, what, what can you, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to change um, a whole lot. I mean, we've always been, uh, you know, open to new ideas and and tried to try to be really innovative with our management really smart about it. Um, it, it does help focus us on certain things, right? It's easy to get scattered and we can, we can sit there on the whiteboard and we come up with 30 different ideas. Then we all think these are the 30 best ideas out there, but you know, there's only a certain number we can accomplish within a given year. And so for us, our, our ESG process has kind of focused on, on the things that we all feel are you know, the most important to, to deal with right now. Right. Right. And, and so we're, yeah, we're looking at another thing. I mean, there's, there's, um, there's no electric, uh, you know, logging equipment out there or hybrid logging equipment out there that's, that's um, really being used, but there is on the trucking end. Right. And so people are starting to do uh, alternative fuel log trucks and you can have electric trucks, you can have hydrogen, um, you know, and we are starting to look at some of that stuff and trying to figure out how we can, uh how we can adopt the technology really it's our contractors you know we don't own any log trucks ourselves and um don't have any interest in doing that but we want to try to be the the facilitator that'll help somebody take that leap and try you know a more fuel efficient vehicle
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Even the trucking side, you know, we see some uh, truck platooning as well to the discussion earlier about labor shortages and how you can be more efficient. It's uh, it's going to be really, really uh, interesting there in the the next decade to see how, how things unfold. So kind of an oddball question. And, and uh, you know, as we're looking to to wind down here, oddball question, uh, you know, if if you were to look back and and talk to young Brendan as Forrester coming out of high school, you know, is, is there a, Is there, is there something you would share with that young Brendan and saying, you know, watch out for this, or maybe don't discount this, or, or is there something you would share with your younger self going back in time? This is my back to the future question or no, I guess back to the future, back to the past. Oh, whatever the saying is, but is there something (laughs) that you would share? Uh, pay more attention to math class, I guess. (laughs) Uh, that, that's a good one that, that might be universal uh yeah. universal to everybody yeah. yeah very cool very cool so hey as we wind down um if folks want to follow up with you you know th- this is great it's awesome talking with you because um you know just to your point of saying often it's important to just talk with your field foresters understand uh spend a day with them in the bush or woods uh, again depending on which country you live in sure. different <laughs> jargon per se as i've been told um but spending that time and then, so on this podcast listening to you it's like you're sharing some of those problems and challenges but really those are opportunities maybe for our listenership that are playing you know young people looking at creating new companies or even more established ones that are saying, Hey, I can bring some horsepower, if you will, to help out on own this. But for folks who want to follow up with you and, and maybe poke your, your brain a little bit, that never sounds right. Doesn't poke your brain, but anyhow, um, who want to follow up with you and, and, and talk more, what's the best way for them to, to reach you? Like I told you at the start, I was going to tease you. Like it's not LinkedIn because I could not find a LinkedIn yeah, profile for you on that, but what's the best way for people to, to reach you?
1: Well, you you won't find me on Facebook either, but you you can go to, uh, you can go to limetimber.com. Uh, you you can contact me through that. Um,
0: awesome. Awesome. That's probably the best way. Yeah. I I was waiting for you to say, I, you're not going to find me on LinkedIn. You're not going to find me on Facebook, but you'll find me on. TikTok, I, i'm saying that in a <laughs> joking way um, so there you go folks if you want to reach out to brendan best way is just the website uh you can google lime timber company so brendan thanks very much uh, for sh- taking the time to speak with me i know we were trying to do this for a couple of weeks and you, you got sick and uh you know had uh, some health issues so obviously you're you're doing a lot better and, and uh, but thanks for carving out the time for sharing your story. I, I think this is really cool, you know, being able to talk to a Timo and getting that view. Um, I'm not sure. I'll leave it to the listeners whether there's common threads, you know, from a forestry company and integrated forest products company, a, a Timo or Reed in terms of some of the the, the challenges and problems they're facing, and, and whether they're really all the same, just cast uh, in different lenses. But thanks so much for for sharing your time. Any parting thoughts on your end to our listeners? Leave I'll give. I always give the last word to our to our guests.
1: <laughs> I just to say, you know, this is this is a technology podcast, but it, but it's definitely like it still comes down to the people. And um, we've one experience I've had is is um, in employee retention, and I'm sure a lot of people are out there are thinking about employee retention, and and wages are going up, and you're still. You know, like everyone, you're concerned um, if someone's going to jump ship and go for that next job that's paying even more. But um, we've actually used that, used this technology. Um, you know, we've heard it from some of our foresters that they've they feel appreciated. You know, when we do these big projects and we when we invest a lot of money into their land, and we give them a really nice tablet with really nice imagery. Um, you know, that's all about the technology, but but for them, it's a personal thing, and they appreciate that as an employee right? That, that we care about the property, we care about the work that they're doing. Um, and it's just a real concrete um, thing for a lot of these people that are in the woods.
0: Yeah. So don't don't yeah. forget about
1: your people. That's, that's
0: yeah. Great, great job. final thoughts. No matter how much technology we, we adopt and embrace it, it it's not going to re- replace those, re- the relationships that we build uh, between human beings in general. So awesome parting thoughts, uh, final words. Brendan, thanks so much for joining us. Looking forward to uh, chatting the next time and uh, all the best. And we'll talk soon.
1: Take care.